Let's ask God's help once again as we look to his word this morning. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you, as the girls just sang, that death is undone, that Jesus has won. And Lord, we stand in his victory on that cross. And there's still an empty tomb in Jerusalem today that announces victory to the world. And King Jesus sits on his throne, ruling and reigning from heaven. Thank you, God. Now, speak to us through your word as we continue to dwell on this victory. In Jesus' name, amen. In the year 586 B.C., the nation of Judah fell to Babylon. The last king of Judah, Jehoiakim, was captured in Jerusalem. This was after a lengthy siege, and the temple was destroyed, the walls torn down. King Jehoiakim was captured, was blinded, and taken into exile, where he later died in prison. As you know, many of the Jewish people were killed or taken as captives to Babylon, where they lived the next 70 years. In the year 539 B.C., King Belshazzar of Babylon was invaded by the Medes and Persians. He was swiftly killed, bringing an end to the mighty Babylonian Empire. In 334 B.C., Alexander of Macedon, also known as Alexander the Great, invaded the Persian Empire. And by 330 B.C., the Persian king Darius III was dead as he was murdered by one of his generals, allowing Alexander the Great to claim the Persian throne, bringing an end to the Persian Empire. In the year 476 A.D., Flavius Odoacer deposed Romulus Augustus, the last Roman emperor to rule the western part of the Roman Empire, marking the end of the Roman Empire. On April 30th, 1945, Adolf Hitler committed suicide. On May 9th, the remaining Nazi cabinet surrendered to the Western Allies. And just two weeks later, the last remaining Nazi leaders were arrested, bringing an end to Nazi Germany forever. On April 8th, 2023, at 12.05 p.m., Yesterday, right here in good old Bradenton, another kingdom fell. Commander Lucas Sokolevich of Kensington, Connecticut, also known to you as Luke, suffered a great loss when his king was captured and checkmated by the queen and rook operated by General Rachel of Laporte, Indiana. also known to you as Rachel. <laughs> By capturing Luke's king, Luke's kingdom fell, and General Rachel won that game forever. What do all these kingdoms have in common? Judah, Babylon, Greece, Rome, Nazi Germany, and the Sokolevich 
kingdom. (laughs) When the king falls at the hands of the enemy, it's game over. When the king dies, the kingdom is no more and it's handed over to the enemy. In order for a kingdom to continue, the king must live. If the king falls, it's usually game over for that nation, regime, or chess match. You might see where I'm going with this. For the last month, we've been digging through Daniel chapter 7 and have been exploring the biblical doctrine of kingdom. We know from Daniel 7 that the Messiah's kingdom was prophesied to be unlike any other kingdom once it came. It would be unlike any other kingdom that came before it because there would be no end to it. His kingdom would last forever and ever. We see the kingdoms of of this earth come and go. But not in Daniel chapter 7, speaking of the messianic kingdom. For example, in Daniel 7, 14, speaking of this kingdom. And to him was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. And verse 22, until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. And in verse 28, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. And all dominions shall serve and obey him. So here's the question. If Jesus is the Messiah whose kingdoms will never end, how is that possible if he died? How can his people possess the kingdom that never ends if he's dead? And this is why the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. For church, our king is not dead. Our king is not dead. He is risen from the dead. As Donna and Lori just sang, let there be dancing in the darkness and let our song break through the night. Lift your voice and sing, for Jesus is alive. The nature and the status and the longevity of the kingdom rests on the life of the king. This is why kingdoms often chanted, long live the king. Because their freedom, their independence, their nation depended upon his survival. But Jesus did not stay dead. He came to do what he had to do. He had to die. He was born to die. And if Jesus had stayed dead, we'd be all in a heap of trouble. If Jesus were still dead, that would mean he would not be God. He could not be Messiah. He could not be king forever. He would not have a kingdom for his people to possess. 
If Jesus were still dead, it would be just like Luke and Rachel's chess game. The game ends when the king dies. That's it. Game over. Checkmate. And I think that might be what was on the mind of the demonic realm. Here is Jesus, dead. And this, friends, is the distinguishing factor of our Christian faith. It all rests upon that truth. Is that tomb empty or is it occupied? If it is occupied, then we are all dead in our sins. We have no hope if he's still dead. We have no reason to even gather today if he is still dead. But we know that he is not. This is exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. There's no more troubling statement like that. If Jesus stayed dead, everybody goes to hell. Everybody faces the judgment and wrath of God. Everybody is doomed. And this is what makes Jesus different than all other religious leaders and other religions. Why? Buddha is dead. Mohammed is dead. Confucius is dead. Joseph Smith, who founded the Mormons, is dead. Every Hindu god that is worshipped is dead. Charles Taze Russell, who founded the Jehovah's Witness, is dead. But Jesus is alive. That is the difference. That is the difference that gives us hope. This is what Jesus tells the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos as he begins the revelation. John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Without a resurrection, we are orphans without a family. We are sinners without a Savior. We are subjects without a sovereign. We are creatures without a creator. We are dead without any hope of life. We are all misfits without a mission. You can keep going. Without Jesus being alive, we are nothing. Everything is worthless and in vain and empty and depressing. But it is the fact of the resurrection that gives us hope today. It is the reason to get out of bed every day. Because we know that our king lives. And if he lives, this means he has won. He has satisfied the wrath of God for all those who will believe in him forever. And he has 
brought all his promises to pass and will make all things new. But today, as we wrap up Daniel 7, after five or six weeks of this chapter, speaking of the kingdom, I want you to also see the importance of the resurrection to the kingdom. Because there is no kingdom without a living king. I think this is obvious. If you're going to believe in a reigning king in heaven, as we believe that Jesus is sitting at the right-hand side of the Father right now, as the Scriptures say, until God the Father makes all his enemies his footstool, this King Jesus, who we said just a couple weeks ago, will come back to consummate the kingdom and make all things new and create a new heavens and a new earth where there's no more death or sickness or sorrow or crying or disease or any more sin to be found in, in this created order, if Christ is going to come back to make all things new, he can't just do that spiritually. He has to do that bodily, physically. You see, there's some people, liberal Christians, progressive Christians, that have, since the earliest 20th century, denied the resurrection of Jesus. Because they say it's a miracle too hard to believe. In the early 1900s, liberalism sprout up in theological circles. And the one thing that they denied was the resurrection of Jesus Christ bodily. They would say that Jesus arose spiritually. But if Jesus arose spiritually, how would that make him any different than anybody who had ever died before? How, how his, as a soul lives forever somewhere... Jesus living spiritually would not make any difference whatsoever. Jesus arose bodily, physically, and that changes everything. That changes everything. We believe in a bodily resurrection. Only thing that was left were the grave clothes. The body was gone. And so, if he is physically coming to make all things new, he himself is in his glorified physical body, which is like what we will receive when we know him and see him at his second coming. We're not going to stay as spirits and souls floating in some ethereal experience in heaven. We will see him and we will be like him, John says, for we shall see him as he is. Glorified, holy, righteous. This is the culmination of our salvation. And it's the fact that he rose again. And what did he do after he rose again? He taught his disciples for 40 days. And then he ascends to heaven to sit on a throne to show us that he is the king over his church and this world. That all authority has been given to him on heaven and on earth. So go spread my kingdom. Go make disciples. Go baptize and teach them everything I've ever taught you. We're in this kingdom age now. As the church spreads to the ends of the world, proclaiming the gospel so that all the fullness of God's elect will come in and the culmination and consummation of the kingdom happens when he comes back. The resurrection leading to this kingdom is the hope of the Christian life. 
I'm going to tell you right now that the people in Washington do not run this world. They may have a say in what happens in this life, but even then, God is sovereign over them. And whatever wickedness they may come up with does not have the final say in God's created order. Any evil beast that arises, all these evil empires we've seen all throughout Daniel 7, none of them rule forever. They all are brought to an end. The resurrection is Paul's main point in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, he is encouraging these Ephesian Christians to understand the glorious power and truth of the resurrection and what Jesus is doing. And Paul connects this beautiful truth of resurrection to his kingship, to his ruling and reigning. You cannot separate the two. He says in Ephesians 1.19, And what is the immeasurable greatness? That means you can't even put a number on it. It's immeasurable. You can't even fathom how great this is. The immeasurable greatness of His power. You can't, you can't quantify it. Toward us who believe. How? According to the working of His great might, look at verse 20, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Here Paul connects the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ as paramount to the kingdom. Jesus is raised and seated as king in heaven, look at verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. This age is the current age, it's the kingdom age, and the one to come is the new heavens and new earth. And he, God the Father, put all things under his feet. Here Paul is quoting Psalm 110 again about what the Messiah would do, seated until all his enemies are his footstool, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Again, the power of the resurrection and the fact that Jesus is sitting as king in heaven cannot be separated. Jesus did not go to heaven and is waiting to be king. He is king right now, ruling and reigning, and is, has all power and authority in heaven and on earth. The resurrection and ascension and the kingship of Christ was also the main point of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 2. Again, what we're doing this morning is seeing how the resurrection, it's important. I mean, you name it, it's the foundation of it. But in the context of Daniel chapter 7, where these kingdoms last forever, it was prophesied according to the scriptures that the Messiah would reign. Which is why our Jewish friends have such a hard time understanding that Jesus is Messiah. Because they deny the resurrection. You see, to to them, Jesus 
is just like a king in a chess match who lost. And because he's not sitting on David's throne, he can't be the Messiah. They missed the whole purpose of his first coming. And they believe that he's just like a dead king in a chess match. So he really is not all who he said he was. But we know differently. And this is why the resurrection, if it is denied, it changes everything. It'll tell you everything about what somebody believes and what they do not believe. In Acts 2, 22, here's Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. You know, there's all these people gathered in Jerusalem. And Peter says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Peter is saying, and he's speaking to the very people who crucified Jesus. But his point was not to guilt trip them into saying, you killed our Messiah. Peter's point is to say, this went exactly according to plan. This is the way it was supposed to happen. We were supposed to crucify him. Because that was God's definite plan And foreknowledge. Why? Because God the Father, before time began, made a covenant with God the Son and God the Spirit to redeem men and women, to call a people unto himself. It was God who ultimately put Jesus on that cross. It was God's plan for Jesus to be crucified. It was God's plan that he would die in our place. Peter's not here trying to guilt trip them. He's trying to say that we worked exactly what God wanted us to do, even though we didn't know it. Even though we did this and it was wrong, we killed an innocent man. Still, God, by his mighty power and foresight, had this all according to his plan. And he died. He died. He suffered the wages of sin, which is death. Not because he was a sinner, but because we are. And God counted him in our place. And therefore poured his wrath upon Jesus. Every sin you and I have ever committed, if we believe in him, every sin that we have ever committed has been placed on Christ on the cross. Like we spoke of Friday night on Good Friday. God made us alive. How did he do this? He forgave us all our trespasses. How? By nailing our sins to that cross. All of them. And as he hung there, bearing our shame, bearing our guilt, he satisfied God the Father and his divine justice and said, it is finished. Paid in full gave up his spirit, and died. But Peter says this, God, verse 24, raised him up. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. 
Because it was not possible. It was not possible for him to be held by it. What a verse. Here, God, the son, lays dead in a tomb for three days. And he is raised up by the power of God. You couldn't keep him in that grave. You couldn't keep him locked down. I saw a meme yesterday. I shared it on my Facebook if you saw it. It's like the most useless things in history. And there's like three things, like a sign that says this sign is not in use, which is, doesn't make any sense. And then three Roman soldiers guarding the tomb. The most useless thing in all human history. Roman soldiers guarding the tomb. It was not possible for him to be held by death. You and I, when we die, are held by death. We cannot escape death. Once you die, you die. Dead is dead. But for Jesus, who was the God-man, who fully obeyed God, who did not incur any guilt upon himself as as if he were a sinner, was righteous, satisfied God the Father, and therefore God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, Because it was not possible. And then he says, again, that is not an accident either. It was no accident that he died. It was no accident that he resurrected. This is the story of creation. You know, someone has said, the only two things certain in life is death and By the way, April 15th is this week. (laughs) Death and taxes. Death and taxes? No. For the Christian, the only thing that is certain in this life is death and resurrection. Those are the only two certainties in the created order. This is what Easter is all about. Not death and taxes, it's death and resurrection. What we blew in the garden, Jesus fixes by raising again from the dead. Death is the curse that swept over humanity by Adam's rebellion. And is this new Adam, the second Adam, that comes and obeys God. And it is he, by his life and resurrection, that reverses what Adam initiated and instituted. And at his second coming, even death itself dies. So that there is no more death. So yes. Next time someone says to you, death and taxes are only two. Say, no, no, no. It's actually death and resurrection. (laughs) And he says, this is what was prophesied. And David prophesied that the Messiah would raise again. And here he quotes from the Psalms. Psalm 16. Peter's using Psalm 16 to show the Jewish people on the day of Pentecost that the resurrection was supposed to happen. For David says concerning him, the Messiah, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. David says, therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades. The word Hades there is literally the place of the dead or the grave. 
You will not abandon my soul to the grave or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then Peter says, uh, brothers, verse 29, may I say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, uh, he died and he was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Anyone want to go take a field trip to go see David's bones? Let's go. What is David talking about? David is talking about this promise that he has from the Lord that his body will not be left in the grave or see corruption or meaning any decay. That David said that I will not be shaken because my body will never decompose. Peter, I'll take you there. You can see David's bones. David did decay. So the question is, did God not fulfill his promise to David? Was David just thinking positively? No. Look at verse 30. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. David wasn't talking about himself. He's talking about the Messiah who would come from his family, who would sit on the throne of David forever. This is the Messianic language. That he would not stay dead. It was prophesied in the Psalms, in the Old Testament, that the Messiah would die and resurrect. Do not be surprised the Messiah has died and resurrected. This is exactly what the Scripture said would happen. This is what we need to share with our Jewish friends, that the Messiah is Jesus Christ. And then he said, in three days Jesus died, resurrected, and his body did not see corruption, his body did not decay, And he was not left in the grave. Let's go to the tomb. The tomb of Jesus is empty. They are not even denying that. The Jewish leaders are not even denying that it's empty. They're saying that we stole his body. See, the fact that the tomb was empty was not ever in dispute in the first century. The lie that came that the disciples stole his body was the conspiracy that was told in order to cover the truth. Peter says in verse 32, This Jesus God raised up. He says it again. And of all that, we are witnesses. Witnesses? Yeah, we have seen him. We didn't steal his body. He came to us. And we have seen him with our eyes. And the New Testament reports 500 people saw the risen Jesus with their eyes. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that both you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And remember what's happening in this moment. All these people are in Jerusalem 
They all speak different languages. And Peter is preaching and they're all hearing Peter in their own language. The Holy Spirit has come upon him and Peter is preaching. God has given the gift so that they will hear in their own language. And what you are witnessing is that the Holy Spirit has come like the prophet Joel said would come. Why is the Holy Spirit here now? Because the Messiah has come, he has died, and he has been raised to life. And the Holy Spirit coming now is proof that it really was him. This is Peter's message here. Verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, Psalm 110, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Not only did Peter witness the resurrected Christ, Peter now witnesses the ascended Christ. Peter and the disciples saw Jesus taken up with a cloud before them up into heaven to sit at God's right hand. Again, Peter is connecting what? The resurrection of Christ to his ruling and reigning kingdom sitting in heaven until God makes all his enemies his footstool. Psalm 110. Therefore, he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This Jesus whom you've crucified. He's both Lord, in other words, King, and Christ, which is the word for Messiah. Christ is not Jesus' last name, in case you didn't know. It's a title. Christos. Messiah. Jesus, Messiah. He is saying God has made him both king and Messiah. This is who he is. And you killed him. But don't worry. It was God's plan. It was God's plan that he die. It's God's plan that he lives. It's God's plan that he ascends to heaven to be king now. And now we're his witnesses. I'm just telling you what I've seen. I've seen the risen Jesus with my own eyes. And now I have a charge from this risen Christ to go tell the world. To go tell the world what he's done. And for all who believe in him, I will baptize and teach them everything he's taught us to teach. Oh, the resurrection. Without it, we have nothing. We can't say Jesus is king if he's not risen. We can't say he's sitting at the right-hand side of the Father waiting to come back unless he's risen. We can't preach the gospel unless we know he's risen. Why? Because Paul says, I'd be a liar. Our faith would be in vain. We'd be dead in our sins. We'd be of all people most to be pitied. All of our loved ones who have ever died, they're doomed, they're done, they've perished. If Christ is not risen. And it is this message that Jesus has risen from the dead. He's been given a kingdom and a dominion that will never, never end. 
It is this hope that we live our lives every day. When you get discouraged, when you get depressed, when you get defeated, when you feel like sin has the upper hand in your life, remind yourself that Jesus has risen from the dead and is sitting at the right-hand side of the Father. That is your power. That is your hope. That is your motivation for anything and everything you face in this life. Nothing and nothing will change that from being true. Tomorrow's a Monday. Don't we love Mondays? Jesus is king over Mondays. You can wake up on a Monday and drive to work in traffic. Snowbirds are going home soon, all right? Lots of traffic. We love you, snowbirds, if you're here. Stay all year. You won't be a snowbird anymore, okay? (laughs) You can sit in traffic on Manatee Avenue or Cortez. Trust me, it takes me an hour to get home now in the evenings. And no... There's nothing that could happen to me today. Nothing anyone can say to me. No feeling I can endure. No insult. No hurt. No abuse. Nothing that can happen today to me to change the fact that my king lives. It is not game over. The game has just begun. The game has just begun. It was impossible For Luke to take his king and say, all right, Rachel, game's not over. That's cheating. Because he has no authority to do that. But God does. Because he is the God and king of this world. And he lives forever and ever. So yes, the kingdom of God mentioned in Daniel 7 rests on the fact that the king lives. Without it, there is no future kingdom. There is no present kingdom. But that's exactly what happened when he died, when he resurrected, and he ascended to heaven. So what do we do with this message? For Christians, may you know right now that your king is alive now. May you know that your sins have been nailed to that cross. That removed as far as the east is from the west. That there is therefore now no condemnation for you. Tomorrow morning when you wake up and your sins slap you in your face, reminding you how much of a ruined sinner you are, right? That happens to us all the time, doesn't it? We beat ourselves up. We live with the regret of past mistakes and sins. And we let that weigh us down like that is our current identity. It's not. Christ has risen from the dead. You are a new creation, creature, creation, whatever, <laughs> whatever you are. Christ has risen from the dead. You are not defeated. Sin has no power over you. Paul says in Romans 6, sin shall not have dominion over you. May you know that Jesus is returning. May you know that you must live every day in obedience to the praise of his glory because he has risen from the dead. And may, nothing will change that for being true. How about for those of you who are not yet believers? You're listening and you're not a Christian or you're not sure if you're a Christian. You never know. You're not know if you're going to heaven. One, may you know today that Jesus is God in human flesh and that he died for sinners just like you. May you know today that the proof 
of that truth that he died for you is the truth that he's no longer dead, but has risen from the grave. May you know today that God has commanded you today to repent of your sins and confess them and turn to Jesus strictly by faith alone, by his grace, to believe in him. You can't go to heaven by being a good person. You can't go to heaven by becoming a church member or becoming to church. You can't go to heaven by being a good moral person. Trust me, there's a lot of moral Buddhists. There's a lot of moral Muslims. There's a lot of moral people in this world that are atheists. Moralism doesn't take anyone to heaven. Only Jesus takes you to heaven. Only by faith in his finished work takes you to heaven. Know today that God has commanded you to repent. This is a command to repent and believe in him. May you know the first time he came as Savior. But when he returns, he comes as judge. He won't be coming with a message of hope, but of judgment. You either bow the knee in this life in submission to him and find love and peace and hope and salvation and forgiveness, or you will bow the knee in the next life and the age to come, but it will be too late. As then you will only endure the wrath of God that is justly due for you. There is hope, friends. There is good news today. That doesn't have to be true of you. It doesn't have to be true of you that you go to hell. If you would only believe and trust that Jesus took your place and submit to him and submit to his authority and humble yourself and bow your heart to the king who sits on the throne, the risen king, the king who has all dominion, authority, and power, the king who has conquered death and the grave and your sin, the one who was promised to come, the one who came, and the one who has promised to come again. May you repent of your sins. We would love to tell you more. Maybe your pride is keeping you from telling somebody what's going on inside of here and that you're just not sure and you're just not understanding. You don't know what's going on and maybe you're trusting in your works or something else. Talk to us today. Nothing would give us more joy today than to help you understand how to become a Christian by simply trusting in Christ and repenting of your sins. It changes everything, friends. He has risen. Let's pray. Thank you, King Jesus, who is one, who is risen, who's overcome the darkness, who's overcome our sin. Lord, everything is connected to your resurrection. Everything. The cross doesn't tell the whole story. The resurrection doesn't tell the whole story. The ascension doesn't tell the whole story. The whole story is the complete truth that God became a man, came into this world, obeyed for sinners like of Adam's race, lived a sinless, perfect life, died on the cross as their substitute, rose again from the dead and ascends to sit on his throne and is coming again. That's the whole complete story. 
And the fact that King Jesus rules and reigns now is tied to his resurrection. Unlike other kingdoms that have come and gone, when the king falls, so does the kingdom. But no, our king died, but he didn't stay dead. And it was how he has a kingdom, because he has obeyed. And he has done in completion all that God the Father has asked him to do. Holy Spirit, may you work in people's hearts as we close this service to understand that they must humble themselves, confess their sins, repent of their sins, and trust in Jesus alone to save them. Lord, I don't know if there's someone in this room like that this morning. I know that it's not by my power or intellect or wit or charm that will convince them from coming into the light. It's only the breath of your spirit blowing in their heart, giving them spiritual life, eyes to see, ears to hear. Lord, would you rip out stone, hearts of stone and give them hearts of flesh so that they could see and hear the beautiful truth of the gospel and believe so that whosoever will may come because you have wrought in their heart the gift of faith to believe and cause them to be born again. Lord, give your people, Christians, great hope in the fact of the resurrection as they face their job this week, as they face their sin this week, as they face the news this week. The resurrection gives us a new perspective, a new way to look at things, a hopeful way to know that King Jesus is coming back to make all things new. Help us continue to celebrate as we go about this Lord's day. And may we know the victory that we have in Christ alone. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing a closing hymn together this morning. Appropriately, Christ alone. In Christ alone. Let's let's really, really sing it out. All right?